Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. In our previous fellowship together, we asked the question to you, the spiritual man and the spiritual woman, how do you respond when the Lord asks something of you? Quintessentially, what is the intensity, what is the imminence of your obedience to God? A spiritual baby, or we might say a spiritual infant, will be slow to react to the Lord's voice, where a spiritual man, although not perfect, will definitely have more of an urgency to the things of God and the speaking of God. And herein you can in a way begin to see, have you grown in your walk with God, in your hearing of God, um, in, in your response to God? And it has to do with the urgency, the intentionality, the imminency of your obedience to God. That's what constitutes a spiritual man. It's not just that you have knowledge and that you can discern all things and maybe know all things and have all knowledge. It comes down to simply this. Can you hear the Lord and can you do what God asks of you? In Acts chapter 5... In verse 32, it says that we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey God. In our modern culture, we think the Holy Spirit is given to those who have talent. The Holy Spirit is given to those who are called. The Holy Spirit is given to those who maybe need to speak or need to write for God, or the Holy Spirit is given to the select few and the vast majority are left, you know, outside of the anointing of the Spirit of God. But Acts 5 verse 32 says, the Spirit is given to those who obey. And there is a direct correlation between you being filled with the Holy Spirit and your obedience, quick obedience, instant obedience, thorough, even sacrificial obedience, and you'll see you ongoingly retain the filling and even the increase of the filling of the Holy Spirit. But be slow to obey. Interrogate God. Ask all sorts of questions. God, why? And you'll see that you begin to, in a way, leak the filling of the Holy Spirit. I want to further my fellowship with you And ask you, the spiritual man and woman that you are, how are you doing in your obedience to the promptings of God? How do you respond to God? I first want to start off in our time together by taking you to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. And in this chapter, we have the kenosis of Jesus Christ. That is, we have this marvelous anthem to the humility of Jesus Christ, where 
in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to grasp, something to retain, something to hold on to. But he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He became obedient, human, and even to the point of death, stayed obedient to God. That is the process of kenosis. And Paul would say to the folk in Philippi, let this mind of kenosis, this mind of being emptied, this mind of obedience, even to the point of death, let this mind be also in you. Paul goes on in verse 12 after he makes this marvelous explanation on the humility, the death, and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Paul says to the uh, saints in Philippi, So then, my beloved, even as you have always obeyed, there's that word obedience, not as in my presence only, but now much rather in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Stay the course, stay obedient, and allow what was deposited deep within you to to, to come forth from you. Even though it's going to cause you to shake a bit, stay obedient, stay faithful, and work out the riches of Christ in you. Then he goes on with a marvelous word of encouragement in verse 13. He says, for God is actually the one who's working within you. He's the one who operates in you both the willing and the working for his good pleasure. In other words, you can do this. You can live out the good news. You can live out the testimony of God. Why? It's not really up to you. God's the one working in you in the first place. God is energizing you. God is giving you the anointing, the spirit. And, and yeah, you're just the vehicle through which it's expressed. And even though it's going to cost you a little bit of fear and trembling, you can do this. Because ultimately, God is the source of it all. And then Paul says in verse 14, Mind you, this is on the heels of the example of Jesus Christ, who emptied himself. And he didn't interrogate God. And yes, he did ask the Lord, can this cup be removed from me? And he did ask the Lord why. But it was, it was really in humility, in vulnerability, and in surrender that he asks those questions of God. Even like Paul in humility said, Father, is there a way that you can remove the thorn in the flesh from me? And just like Jesus asked three times for the cup to be removed, in essence, God said no. Paul asked three times, God, is it possible for this thorn to be removed from me? And in essence, God likewise told the apostle, no. And neither Christ nor the apostle complained. Because God was at work within them in Christ to walk towards the cross and to embrace it without raising his voice. And without retaliation. And even so, the apostle, when God told him, no, I'm not going to deliver you from the thorn in the flesh, he didn't complain. He didn't find fault with God. He didn't interrogate God. He humbled himself. He emptied himself and he said, okay, God, if I have to be weak, then so be it. And the Lord spoke to Paul and said, my strength will be perfected in your weakness. 
Paul did not go to complaining. And here in Philippians, he says to the Philippians, in essence, the same thing. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God is actually the one at work within you. And then he says in verse 14, therefore do all things. Here it is. Do all things. Obey, lay down on a cross, be unjustly even persecuted. You can do this, but do it without complaining. Do it without murmuring, without griping. Do it without reasoning and fault-finding and analysis. Do it in humility. Do it in obedience. Do it in raw faith, even though it does not make sense. Just know God is at work within you. And even though he asks of you to be crucified, you can do this. Paul would say to the Philippians later on in chapter 4, I can do all things. I can lay down on a cross and die. I can live in a palace. I can be full. I can be emptied. I have learned to be content. Whatever my Lord asks of me, yes and amen is my answer. Just like Mary, when the angel spoke to her and said, you will conceive, initially she, 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 she murmured a little bit and she interrogated Gabriel just a little bit. Like, how can this be? But he spoke to her and he said, this is not going to be because of you. God is the one that's going to work within you, this child. He will be born of the Most High God. He will be born of the Spirit of God. And Mary, by faith and humility and obedience, she said, yes, let it then be done to me according to your word. In essence, Christ said it, Father, if you do not remove this cup, then yeah, let it be done to me according to your will. Paul basically said the same thing. Instead of complaining, he said, okay, Lord, I will then rather boast in my weakness, in my inability, in my emptying, so that you could be the one most powerful, most strong. And he says to the Philippians, do all things. Do all things without complaining. Beloved, here is the first point I want to make. When God asks something of you, how quickly do you murmur and gripe and complain and analyze and, and need a clear explanation? How quickly do you just obey versus interrogate? Because therein is the evidence, whether you've grown spiritually over the last week, month, or year, or whether you have just in a way sort of been going through the motions and perhaps even your spiritual growth has been stunted. Here's the point. The spiritual man obeys without an explanation. He obeys by faith and he knows that when the Lord does not explain himself and he finds himself in the tension of mystery, the spiritual man knows that right now, if God does not care to explain why, there's probably a crucible in store for me. And the spiritual man can lay down on that cross and even unjustly accept those nails because he knows that he knows that he knows even in his emptiness, God can work. 
and he's learned to be content. And he will work out his trust in God, his faith in God, his salvation in God. He will work it out with fear and trembling, not by shaking a fist and demanding an explanation from God. The spiritual man is slow to interrogate God, and he is fast to act and obey as best as he can muster up the courage. I want to take you to the Old Testament to an example of a remarkable man by the name of Moses, that God had an interaction with this man, and God asked just about the impossible from Moses, and over and over again, he would, in a way, try to get out of it. He would deflect, and he would try to find some fault. Now, hear me carefully. Chances are highly, highly likely, almost entirely probable, that Moses' deflection had to do with his utmost humility. And that's all good. In fact, it is said of Moses that there was not any more a humble man on the face of the planet than the servant of God, Moses. And so, yeah, his excuses is probably indicative of his humility. But there's perhaps a little bit of fear, a little bit of deflection in here, because you'll see after excuse number four, the Lord actually gets angry at Moses. So it's not entirely just an issue of humility. It's, it's an issue of excuses. And he, um, in a way, has not yet learned to trust God. I want to reference this just briefly and ask you, when, when, when God calls you, when God says, go here, get up, say this, uh, do this, are you like Moses that's, that's constantly looking for an alternative solution? Or are you a little bit like uh, Christ that says, nevertheless, not my will, not my insecurity, not my limited capability, Lord, amen, whatever you ask, yes, 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 yes. In Exodus 3, Moses is in the land of Midian tending sheep, and he sees this burning bush. You may know the story well, but it catches his attention, this spontaneous combustion. And he comes to have this encounter with God. And God reveals his name that God's name is yod Hey vav Hey. I am that I am. And God speaks to Moses and says, now that you know my identity, and that I am with you, and that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, I can now authorize you, Moses, and I can use you, and I want to send you to the Pharaoh to go tell him, let my people go. And in verse 11, Moses says to God, Who am I that, that I should go to the Pharaoh? And that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? Perhaps in humility, Moses is considering his identity. And he basically says, Lord, I mean, 
I'm a nobody. Why would you even want to use a nobody? Obviously, you use dignitaries. And that's all beautiful. In fact, God does not use the capable. God does not use the strong and the mighty and the rich. Jeremiah says, don't let the rich glory in his riches or the wise man and his wisdom or the strong man and his strength. Rather, we should boast that we know God. And this is all good that Moses is basically saying, God, you don't want to use me. I've got nothing. But then we've come to understand that this is exactly the person God uses as the man who has nothing. Perhaps no education, no talent, no capability. It's perhaps this weak, fragile, vulnerable, Mary type of character that God uses best. So that's all good. Moses, in a way, looking at his identity and I just, I don't have what it takes, God. But I want to tell you, he is probably making an excuse here. Well, God then uh, encourages him again. But in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses then replies to God's rebuttal. And he rebuts God's rebuttal. And he says, what if they don't believe me? Or, or listen to my voice? Or they would say, the Lord actually has not appeared to you. In other words, this is an issue of credibility. What if I don't have the credibility? Um, I don't have a track record. You know, the last time I was in Egypt, I murdered a man. And I, I don't have this notoriety and this credibility. Um, why would they want to hear me? I don't have a pedigree and I don't have papers. and a, I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. And again, this would be very indicative, obviously, of Moses' humility. But in a minute, God's about to get angry at the man. So perhaps this is, again, another kind of an excuse. God, you don't want to use me, really? God then rebuts his rebuttal to God's rebuttal. And in verse 10, Moses speaks to God again and says, Lord, I'm, I'm not a man of words. Um neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I'm just not that talented, God. Um, I don't have a great accent, God. Things don't roll off of my tongue that eloquently, God. I'm, I'm probably not your man. And again, this could very much be Moses being all humble and pious, and I get that. But in a minute, God's getting angry at his holiness, his so-called piety, his so-called humility. In a way, Moses is probably looking for an excuse to get out of obedience to God. Maybe there's fear in this man's heart. Maybe he cannot quite trust God yet. So he keeps rebutting God. And of course, God challenges him and rebuts his rebuttal to God's rebutting rebuttal. And then in verse 13, here it is. He makes yet another excuse. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And he says, please, Lord, send word by someone else. In other words, I don't really want to obey God. Let's come up with option C now, or option D, or what about option E? And if this was just merely the humility of Moses speaking, I'm not sure God would have gotten angry. 
But listen to the following verse. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 14. This is now after the fourth excuse. It says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And this is how I know that this is not just an issue of Moses playing the humble card. Oh God, I'm good for nothing. Oh God, I'm useless. Oh God, I stutter. Oh God, I'm not eloquent in speech. Oh God, just use another talent, another person that's more capable, uh, that has it, you know, better than me. God now takes the complaining personal. And this is a point that I want to bring across now. When God asks something of you, it's not really because he is uh, concerned with your capability. In fact, he's probably asking something of you because you can't. Because in a way, you're not strong enough, smart enough, rich enough, talented enough. The longer I walk with God, the more it appears to me God loves the weak things of this world to confound the strength of this world. God uses the foolish to confound the wisdom of this age. Paul even wrote about that in 1 Corinthians. God's not after you having it all together before he can use you. He's just asking for your availability, your vulnerability, your kenosis. God wants to use an empty vessel. That's why he can fill you with the Holy Spirit. This is his recipe. He uses the the empty people, the people of kenosis. And it's as though every time you and I make excuses and we deflect, it's almost as though God takes it personally. And he gets angry. We see this particular situation in the book of Numbers. God sends the 12 spies into the good land. And they come back with a rather negative report. Of course, the Lord has done so many things for them. So many, many things. All the plagues or the signs in Egypt. The Red Sea opening up. The Egyptian army drowning in the Red Sea. The pillar of fire hovering over the people by night and a cloud covering them to keep them cool in the scorching heat of the day. God making bitter waters sweet. No water coming out of a rock. God feeding them with manna and causing them them to be a victorious overcoming people. Sign and wonder upon wonder and sign. And now God sends them into the land and say, Hey, based on all that I've done for you, you can totally go do this. Go, go. I'm with you. You can trust me by now. And of course, you know the story. The 12 spies come back and they say, No, we are pretty much like grasshoppers. We, we can't do this. And it's not really that they are humble and meek and gentle before God. It's as though they're intimidated and they're afraid. And there's no courage. There's, yeah, only excuses. They say, we are not able to go up into this good land because the descendants of Anak, the Nephilim, is in that land. And they are people of 
great size. Then the whole assembly, chapter 14 in Numbers, it says, the whole assembly lifted up their voices and they complained and they wept and they cried, oh God, we cannot do this. Send somebody else. Kill us here in the desert. And it's excuse upon excuse. And it says, verse 2, all the children of Israel murmured and they griped. And they complained, and they they could not stop finding fault with this assignment from God. And they say, oh, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in this wilderness. Why would the Lord bring us up out of Egypt only to die here in the good land? It says in verse 10 that um, even though Joshua and Caleb exhorted the congregation, we can do this. It says in verse 10 that they lifted up their voice and they cried out against Joshua and Caleb and they set out to stone them with stones. In verse 11, the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, How long will these people despise me? And it's almost as though the anger of the Lord was kindled over and over again. The stiff-necked people murmured and they kept deflecting and complaining and finding fault. Excuses not to obey. And as a result, somehow God took it very personally. Beloved, in the setting here, there was only Joshua and Caleb who had a different spirit. And God was willing to work with them because they kept faith in God. They knew that it was not up to their strength to follow through with the assignment. It was up to their availability. It was up to their humility, up to their partnership, up to their kenosis, being emptied, that the real power was, was really God's. Joshua and Caleb understood that, and as a result, 40 years later, they inherited the promises of God, where everyone else who complained, and here it is, listen, they missed out. They forfeited the blessing of God. They forfeited the inheritance of God. I want you to know that when God asks something of you, it's because he is confident in